At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 126, and we are recording on Saturday, April 30th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Nezra Javed, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Nezra. How are you doing today? I am good, Katie. It's been a stressful day, and here's why. <laughs> I cannot decide what to bring on a five-hour flight with me, and it's just, it's just wreaking havoc on my head. I'm assuming you mean books, right? Of course. I mean, <laughs> you know, like my husband and my child, I guess they have to come. I guess I have to bring, bring them along. But like books is all that I focus on, like willingly. Let's put it at that. <laughs> but yes, so I am having a hard time deciding which book I want to bring. I'm torn between the house of On Vesper Sands. I have a couple of uh, e-galleys that I'll talk about later in this episode. I want to get through it. It's it's been it's been stressful. How about you? How are you? Well, I don't have that exact problem. Although when I have done vacations in the past, basically I will go through my Libby app from the library and I will just download a bunch of stuff. I will basically reach my limit of downloads for ebooks, e-audiobooks, not sure what I'm going to be in the mood for, but I figure that at least I have options. Yes. And this is exactly what ebooks and digital audiobooks were made for. I mean, that's kind of obvious, but being able to all of a sudden have like, you know, 20 books on my iPad or whatever that I can that I can flip through. I'm like, okay. I am I am set. I am ready to take on whatever travel challenges may befall us. Yes. And I will not be bored. Yes. And I also have the pleasure of having access to two libraries worth of ebooks from the one that I work at and the one of my actual home library. Oh my and they God. belong to two different consortiums. So I get different catalogs of ebooks with varying availabilities, it's and I get two sets of download limits. So I am set. I am absolutely set when it come, whenever it comes to traveling. But yes. sadly I am not I am not traveling anytime in the <laughs> near future. I, I love that. I also have two sets of cards because the county that I work in offers cards to people who work over there. So as long as you're employed in an office in that county, you nice. get that county's library card too. And they have hoopla access. So it's yeah. like but sometimes it's just too much choice, no? Like I, I have I have all of the um, women's price shortlist on my Kindle. I have like six mysteries that I want to get through. I have some Agatha Christie's in case, you know, nothing nothing succeeds. It's so stressful. Like what like how do you read ten books at a time? I would like to know that answer. I used to be able to. And I can't do it anymore. <laughs> no. Nope. And now I, f I find myself staring at my bookshelves with all of these books I haven't read yet, going, I have nothing to read. Yeah, yeah. I agree. But what are you reading? Well, I have, I think I mentioned in a previous episode that I jumped on your bandwagon and I am listening <laughs> to the Southern Book Club's Guide to Hunting Vampires by Grady Hendrix. And while, and for the listeners out there who are like, mm, isn't that a horror novel? I mean, yes, it is. But there, there's definitely strong mystery and strong elements of that you would also find in psychological suspense like there are horrifying moments and i'm getting towards the end of the book so the supernatural stuff is starting to ramp up a little bit but <laughs> without giving away any spoilers i know i i texted you nezra when i was about halfway <laughs> through the book and i was like i have never wished I've never wished so much death upon a fictional character before. And I won't say which character if you haven't read the book. 
But I was not anticipating to feel so much anger when I read this book. Yes. This book contains multitudes. Like, I was thinking, okay, darkly humorous horror novel. Okay, yeah, I can can get into this. And it has those moments. But there are some, like, really, there's some really intense stuff happening in that book that's not related to the vampire part of it. And there are, like, basically, if you want to be really angry about men, Ugh. you'll read this book, like, and it will, it will just make you furious. Like, I would, like, I would have to listen to it in chunks because I could not handle how much anger I was getting on my commute. And then I was coming home and just kind of like, Arr! and my husband's like, what's wrong? And I was just like, what like, did I do? I, <laughs> yeah, I hate men. And he's like, oh my goodness, what happened? I'm like, no, it wasn't work. It was a book. Oh, man. But yeah, it has it has taken me by so much surprise, but it is such a testament to the author's writing that it's bringing out these emotions. And yeah, I I just was not prepared for that. So if you, any of you are interested in picking up that book, be warned, it will bring on the feelings. <laughs> Lots of feelings. That book, whenever I'm mad at my husband or men in general, <laughs> I just pick that book up because... I don't know how Grady Hendrix does it. Like, you know, I there, there's almost like a Stepford Wives feel to it. Not, oh, not, yeah. not in, but you know, like how even in Stepford Wives, it's just in the beginning part, like how the men sort of don't take anything the women are saying seriously. And it's, it's, and it's also like a satire on suburbia, right? Because they're like so, like people are so caught up in their idea of like this life that we need or need to have and it has to be perfect and our um, street has to be this way. And it's, I just love those takes because suburbia is so, I live in a suburb. I, I live in a very suburban suburbia, but it's like, it's like a little, like it starts getting to you, right? It's like, why does my grass have to be two inches? You know, why, why can't I let it grow out? It's like these things start getting to you. Mm-hmm. So it's like a satire on that as well. It's so smart. It's so smart. I just love it. I love it so yeah. much. It's a satire, but it's like not a satire. Yes, <laughs> like- exactly. Yes. Like there is this levity to it that I think was intentional, but also it's also doesn't like diminish the point that he's trying to make. Like it's no. not just like, it's like you, yeah, you're like, okay, you know, it's just a book, but at the same time, no, like this stuff is ev- like this crap happens everywhere. So, yeah, as all of you know, I co-signed that so hard. So please, Katie, feel free to keep texting me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, will do. Like I said, this is if you're not if you're not sure about it, like, yeah, there are definitely horror moments in the book, but it is it is a very subversive kind of horror that I think crosses over really well with mystery and suspense and all of that stuff. So it's that we did not just turn this into the horror show. There, there is crossover appeal to this one. Definitely, I agree. So, what about you? Have you have you been reading anything, or have you just been uh, preparing to preparing for your trip? So, one of the books I have been reading is the book that I'm going to talk about today, and it's super exciting. So, I'm going to hold off on that. But I've been doing the. Ugh, I have so many thoughts on that. So, <laughs> let us dive in, Katie. <laughs> All right. So with that, let's go ahead and do our first sponsor for this episode. All right. So if you are a new listener, welcome. We are delighted to have you. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. We are delighted that you came back. (laughs) And like we said at the top of the show, we talk about mysteries and thrillers and suspense and true crime and movie adaptations, and just about anything that falls under the gigantic, mysterious umbrella. So yeah, if it, fall, if it falls in that category, it's fair game for us to talk about. And this is the part of the show where we always put out a call to our listeners for suggestions for upcoming episodes, because they truly, truly, truly help us plan so many of the episodes that we've recorded over the last almost five years. I am just going to take a take a quick second and and say Red or Dead is almost reaching its 5 year anniversary. Holy cow. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Back to what this show is all about. So, 
So yes, there have been a lot of episodes that we've done. This is episode 126. So a lot of those ideas have come from you, the listeners. It's a great way to know what you would like to hear more of. It's a great way for us to expand our own reading horizons. It's really great for us when we go, we just don't know what we're going to record for the next episode. So it's really a win-win-win situation all around. So if you have any ideas or recommendations, you can shoot us an email or reach out to us via social media. We will have all of our contact information at the end of the show and in the show notes, so don't worry about getting it down right now. We just put out the call ahead of time to get those creative juices flowing. And even if you don't have an idea and you just want to say hi, we love hearing from our listeners. So definitely hit us up if you if you feel so compelled. And if you enjoyed this podcast, definitely leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us. All right. So with that, we're, we can jump into our news segment, which honestly is kind of the main segment of our whole episode, because the Edgar Award winners were just announced on Thursday, the 26th, which as of this recording was two days ago. So they are super fresh and we get to talk about them. Yay! That's my Muppet arm noise. Yay! I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we spoke about how the lineup was so fascinating and i think the winners were how do i feel about the winners i mean congratulations to all the winners and the nominees it's amazing it's like such an honor um, the list is always full of such amazing works but the winners it's an interesting combination of like indie press releases and as well as like bu- uh, books from the big publishing houses and i feel like that's such a that's such a delight to see that you know indie presses are getting that recognition because the main like the best novel is also i believe in indie press yeah five decembers by james kestrel won the best novel um best first novel was won by dear season by erin flanagan and it's from university of nebraska press and i think and then best paperback original was bobby march will live forever by alan parks and that's a europa edition europe edition i'm not sure if they're an independent press but it's like you know it's the translate work they do works in translation so it's amazing uh, i it, it's a uh, most of the winners i have not read so how about yeah. you katie what was your first take on this um that i'm really bad at picking books <laughs> that are going to win <laughs> <laughs> because we've been talking about like bef- like weeks before these were announced we were like okay we're going to do our Edgar award episode and we planned ahead and we each picked a bunch of books that that were nominated that we were going to read and I did not get to most of them which is that's its own thing but the books that I the books that I did read um or the books that that I wanted to get to none of them won <laughs> So I don't know if that's just I my reading interests just were not in sync with this year's panel of judges. I it could mean that I'm just really missing out on some really great books. But yeah, when I because I always like to I always like to see if I can pick the winners or if I can, you know, be like, oh, yeah, I think this one's going to win. This one's going to win. So yeah, look at the winners. Each one I was like, huh. That wasn't no, that wasn't the one I picked. (laughs) And and, uh, some of them I'm just like, I had outside of this nomination list, I had never heard of them. So clearly it's a sign for me that I need to, you know, I always be looking at ways to increase my knowledge of what's being published. I've got some new books that I need to order for our library now. Our new fiscal year starts in two days when I go into work on Monday. And I just have a gigantic cart of books that I am just as soon as I walk <laughs> in, I'm like, we're ordering them. Because I haven't been able to order books for the last two months, end of the fiscal year. Anyway, it will be a very exciting day full of books, but now I've got a few other ones that I need to add to it because I was like, nope, we don't have that one. <laughs> don't have that one. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess I just lost my touch this year. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, it did make me curious just, you know, to think what is the criteria? I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I know there are panelists involved and there it's, it's always going to be subjective, right? It's never going to be like, does this check this box, this box? But it's like, I don't know. I don't see a pattern to them, like, and which is great. I mean, we like being kept on our toes, but it's like, I don't, I can't explain it. It's like, so I, it's not you, Katie. <laughs> it's not just I, me. Yeah, I'm, yeah, it's not just you. It's like, but I mean, we have some great picks to talk about. So let, do you want to just j- dive in? 
to uh, yeah to the books that we that we did end up reading. So and again, this is a reminder that. Even though you have the books, oh yes, these won the awards, dive into the short lists or even long lists if you're feeling really, if, if it's for an award that does long lists, then short lists, then winners. Because even if a book didn't win, there are so many amazing yes. picks to talk about. And yeah, with that, Nezra, I am going to have you jump in really, qu- or jump in with your first pick because before we started recording, you were telling me that you're that the book, one of the books that you read was absolutely bonkers, and I want to hear about it. Absolutely. Okay, so I decided that I'm going to read "Never Saw Me Coming" by Vera Curian, and one of the reasons I wanted to read this because on Crime Reads. One of the editors had had blurbed it that in this book, things are not happening to women in uh, jogger pants. It's the women in the jogger pants doing doing the harm. And I mean, I do not in any way endorse one way or another of harm, but it was just like it sounded like an interesting take on like you know where the it's all the victim is always a girl, and it's it just sounded like an interesting take. So. The book is never, oh, I already mentioned that, Never Saw Me Coming by Vera Curian. And this book is basically about, we start, we are in the heads of different characters. And there are seven, I believe there are seven students. Seven students in a DC college, John Adams, I believe, are part of a study. And that study is a clinical study for psychopaths. These are students that have been diagnosed and, uh, you know, this is basically, it's this professor, Professor Lyman, who is trying to get ahead of, like, in the sense that he's trying to help these students. He's trying to equip them with, you know, coping mechanisms, how to navigate their feelings, how to have more empathy towards their peers. So they're just part of this study. They have mood logs, they record how they're feeling at any given time. They have to do regular check-ins. And then as a result, these seven students get like a four-year completely paid tuition sort of education. But all they have to do is be honest in the study and be a part of this. So our story begins with Chloe. Chloe has is, and as you read more of the story, you realize that each, obviously each character has its backstory. And what's so fascinating about it is how each backstory brought them to where it they are today. And it was just well, it was like very well done. So like we start with Chloe. Chloe has this agenda of killing Will. And but before she kills Will, she needs something from him. And that is how she has sort of like navigated her way into this study. Then we meet Andre. Andre, who whose family has recently gone through something very traumatic and he's trying to work through it and his family has big expectations from him and how he make like how he ended up there and it's like and yeah there's the mystery element of it you know and then until so we're we're meeting all these people who are part of the study until what happens is in the psychology department a murder happens and the person murdered was actually one of the students that was part of the study so it becomes this question, like the police ask this question, like they're like, did one of these people, like one, did one of the seven murder them? Or is someone out to murder all of these, like all of these students, like what's happening, right? But then also the additional question I feel like of, there are some additional questions, which as I was about to speak, I realized might be a little spoilery. So I don't want to spoil that fun for you. Because when I when I got that, I appreciated it so much. It was so smart, like how there are layers to this. So I'm not going to say that, but it's like more than meets the surface. It's more than, yeah, a murder happened. And who's doing that murder? It's also like, you know, each, basically the book is being narrated by seven psychopaths. So it's like, you know, it, it's just... It's just so smart. It's so smart. And then there are these commentaries woven in. Not too much. Not too much commentary, though. It, it's like, I, I felt like it was a very well-balanced like plot, character development, and then commentary. But it is character-driven. It's a character-driven book, for sure. But then it's very subtle because it's it doesn't bog down the book. It keeps it moving. So 
it was it was just so like I was so glad I I tried this out and I, I picked this one to start my Edgar reading journey with. So I if you've been looking at this and uh, I feel like the cover does not do it justice. Like it it does it seems like any a traditional you know unreliable narrator thriller, but it's got multitudes. So I would highly recommend it. It's Never Saw Me Coming by Vera Curian, and I would recommend it on audio. It was great in audio. Ooh, now that I was because I've been looking at that book and I knew that you were really excited about it. And I'm like, oh, you know, I've got all these other books, but I'm always looking for a good audio. And so maybe when I when I finish Southern Book Club's Guide to Hunting Vampires, maybe I'll pick that one up if it's available. Also, I had another plug for this. If you love The Silent Patient and have always have been since looking for, you know, that fix then this is it because and also because Vera Curian the author she is like she's a very credible source I think she has a doctorate in psychology so she knows what she's talking about so it's like a very like authentic I don't want to say authentic I like you know I don't want to misinterpret what but it's just like it's yeah it has it's a silent patient fix you've been looking for so there's another one all right well yep there you go you're continuing to hook me there (laughs) So, yeah, so the book that I, my first pick is one that I'm like, I really should have read this sooner. And so I'm like, okay, this is my opportunity and finally sit down and read it. And that was Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. And this was nominated for Best Novel and, you know, did not win. And honestly, I mean, I didn't, I hadn't read any of the other picks. So this is take this with a grain of salt. But even before I read the I read the book, I just, I thought this was going to win first novel or not first novel, best novel. Just because from what I know of S.A. Cosby and how well his this book and Blacktop Wasteland, his first book was received, like these books were just like they were so critically acclaimed. And so I decided that, okay, this is, I'm going to finally read one of his books. And I will say before I start talking about this book that it has like all the trigger warnings. It has, I mean, just violence in general. This book is violent from beginning to end. It is violent, violent, violent. Yeah, there's there's stuff about racism and homophobia, transphobia, harm to a child or threatened harm to a child is in there. And there's just a lot of stuff happening in this book. Like, I feel like I remember when Blacktop Wasteland came out, people described it as very cinematic or very much like kind of like a popcorn book. You're just action packed and just like you could not put it down. This one is the same. Like it is just nonstop from beginning to end. And it is really, really, really intense. So the the story that the book starts off with, there are you have two fathers. You have Ike, who is black. And you have Buddy Lee, who is white. And what brings these two men together is that their sons were married to each other and their sons were murdered horribly. And they're not sure. It at first seems as though it is a hate crime based on the fact that their sons were gay, but they're not sure. And both of these men are also grappling with a lot of guilt because neither one of them were at all supportive of their sons being who they were. They just, you know, did not want to understand. They were very closed-minded and had very very strongly held and antiquated views about what it means to be LGBTQ and all of this other, and all of this other stuff. And so they're grappling with a lot of guilt that they did not that they were not there for their sons when they were alive. So the police are investigating the murders and it just kind of peters out. They don't really, they can't, they don't know anything or they can't find any information. No one's talking to them. And so the investigation just kind of like lets out, you know, it, it just kind of peters out into, you know, kind of with a, with a whimper. And the men, the fathers, Ike and Buddy Lee, they were like, okay, if the police aren't going to figure out what happened to our sons, we're going to find out what happened to them. We're going to find the people who killed them. And we are going to enact revenge. 
And this, so begins their journey. And yeah, this, I mean, you can cut there. And then, of course, in their journey, they find out that the situation surrounding their son's deaths is much more complicated than they realized. But they, both of these men are ex-cons with a, you know, with a lot of, with a lot of violence in their past. And so they fall back on that, on those experiences to, as they, you know, question people, try to figure out what happened. These men are brutal, absolutely brutal. They are up against gang members and other people who are just, who are just as brutal. So it is just, like I said, it is violent from end to end of this book. But there is, there is a lot of depth here. There's a lot of talk about racism because, like I said, Ike is black, Buddy Lee is white. This also takes place, I think it's in Virginia. Um, definitely in the South where you you see lots of Confederate flags and lots of very out, out and out white supremacists. And while Buddy Lee is not one of those people, the, he his character has a lot of learning to do about, you know, the state of racism in the country and all of that stuff. And then there's talk about intersections of what it means to be black and gay and how uh, LGBTQ people who are also black are viewed within, can be viewed within the larger black community. And there's like lots of intersections going on. And so there are a lot of really, really complex things. And each character is really complex. And I was describing this book to my husband, and he was like, did you like the book? I said, yeah, I really did. Because even though these these men are absolutely vicious, I'm like, you can't help but root for them. And I'm like, it sounds, it just sounds so weird. But like, you know, this kind, it's like, it's very much vigilante justice. But they are, you know, they're working through some of their own stuff for sure. But they're, they are motivated by, you know, the love for their sons that they wish that they had been able to express while they were alive. And it's just, it is a heavy, <laughs> violent, did I mention violent? It is a very heavy book. But it's it's got lots of themes of yeah of redemption and second chances and you know just all of all of this other stuff and yeah it's it, it's it's a heavy read but honestly i again i was and after reading it i'm honestly kind of shocked that this did not win best novel it's it just feels like it has all the makings for that but if you haven't read razorblade tears by sa cosby and you're not put off by the number of times i mentioned the word violent in my description go take a go take a look at it it's it's a really really good book all right, so before we jump to Nezra's second pick, we have our second sponsor for the episode. All right, Nezra, what is your second pick? All right, so my second... Oh, and I also realized I forgot to mention what category Never Saw Me Coming was picked for. It was the best novel by an American author. First novel, right? For a best first novel by an American. Thank you, Kate. Yes, best first novel by an American author, and it did not win, sadly. And but I'm excited to see which like the winner is Dear Season, I believe, by Erin Flanagan. And I'm excited to see, you know, I'm excited to pick that one up eventually. So my second pick was nominated for the Simon and Schuster Mary Higgins Clark Award. You all know my love for Mary Higgins Clark. Anyways, so uh, there were some fantastic nominees, and the book I picked was Clark and Division by Naomi Hirahara, and this is and this was the winner. Huzzah! We have a winner. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the reasons I definitely wanted to make sure I mentioned this book here is because this book is doing so much, so many things at one time. It's it's a historical fiction. It's a very well done historical fiction with the mystery element to it and then it's also fictionalized reality so like you know I, I believe we discussed this in the last episode along the lines of your house will pay by Steph Shaw where these things that are mentioned or which the story is based upon these actually happened in reality or some as to some extent they did happen and then this account is basically a fictionalized account or like an inspired story from it but so this book what is this book all about? So this book is basically about Aki, who 
along with her parents, they have been released from Manzanar, where they were detained by the U.S. government after the uh, after the Pearl after Pearl Harbor, to, along with thousands of Japanese Americans. So they're sort of sent back into the like into the world, but they're not sort of sent back to where they were taken from. They're not sent back to California where they had their life. They are sent to a suburb in Chicago where Aki and her family are told that they already, their sis, her older sister Rose is already, you know, was sent months earlier and that, you know, it's, it's like a new Japanese American neighborhood. So they are, they're nervous, apprehensive, but they're also, you know, excited to see, be reunited with their family and start living their life again. But when they, just before they're about to, you know, meet Rose, they get the news that Rose was killed by a subway train. And what the answer to how it happened is coming that, you know, she died by suicide and that, you know, that's how basically the death is sort of, you know, it's brushed away that it's it was, uh, she died by suicide and there's nothing anyone can do about it. So of course the family is already working through reacclimatizing themselves right in this society and then to have to deal with this this grief this shock but also aki cannot believe that her sister would ever do something like this so you know she's she wants to get to the bottom of you know what her sister might be going through uh just to learn more about like you know if her sister did do this then what drove her to this and just learn more about her so what she does is she reaches to the only person who knows the truth and so she start like she starts like diving deep and like and like trying to learn like tracing back to you know what happened between the time that Rose did come to this suburb and between the time she died like what exactly happened and as she does that you know it's it appears that it's not all it it was like you know there might be other motives or there might be other things that might have led to her death so it's it captures that feeling of sort of lostness like that you know and, and just like world war ii historical fiction i feel like the, the market is very saturated with that kind of fiction right so it's hard to it's sometimes difficult to read a book that that gives a fresh take on it and this does especially since it's from the perspective of you know japanese americans who were just living their life who had nothing to do with the war but how their lives were impacted by it, right? I mean, it, it's just a, like a different perspective. It was enlightening, but it's also very sad. It's very sad. There's a lot of grief in this book. I, I wouldn't say it's violent, but there's just like bleakness and grief in there. But it's also like, you know, a family trying to move on. It's historical fiction meets crime. So I would... I would recommend it. I would recommend it, but just know that there's a lot of grief in there. You know, they, they've they lost the life that they had. They're trying to make a new one, but they have this grief to work through. It's it's a lot. Um, but it's, again, it's based on like, uh, it's based on real historical events and very, very well done. And congratulations to the author and the press for winning this award. All right. Yeah, that one's been on my list for so long. Honestly, primarily because the first thing that grabbed me was like, oh, it's set in Chicago. I will read just about anything that is set in Chicago. And even though I have never actually lived in Chicago, I've lived close enough to Chicago my entire life to have, you know, that real deep kinship with the city. And so... Even people I work with who don't read mysteries, when that book came in, they were like, oh, hey, this book looks really interesting, because Clark and Division are, are two very well-known streets in Chicago. So there's, so everyone was just like, hey! So if you're a fan of books set in Chicago, definitely pick up this one. All right, so my second pick was from the, I think they, they refer to it as the factual crime? Fact crime category. And as I, as... Uh, indicated before. This book sadly did not win. The winner of the Best Fact Crime for this year's Edgar Awards was Last Call, A True Story of Love, Lust, and Murder in Queer New York by Elon Green. And this is one I actually have had on my list to read for a while. Um, so congratulations to the author for their, for their win. But the book that I picked... Uh, to talk about is Two Truths and a Lie, A Murder, A Private Investigator, and Her Search for Justice by Ellen McGarrahan. And I picked this book, honestly, just because I had heard that this book was really, really good, but I didn't know anything about it. And so I was just kind of like, oh, okay, it 
you know, I've, I've heard really good thing or people really liked it, but I don't know much about it. And it's available at the library. So yoink, here we go. So, so the story starts off. So Ellen McGarrahan is a private investigator and she is one of the top private investigators and then one of the top female private investigators in the country. And so this is, this is her story. She started off as a journalist in the early 90s for the Miami Herald. And she went to, when the book starts, she, it's 1990, and she is covering the execution of Jesse Teferro, who is a man who was uh, convicted a few years prior of murdering two police officers. And when the book starts, and I will, I will give a trigger warning for this. She does very, you know, very quickly in the in the prologue. She describes witnessing his execution, and it does not go cleanly, and it's it's rather haunting, and just as the reader reading it, and she is very haunted by this, by you know what happened that because you because the more seasoned reporters told her, it's like, okay, this is usually what happens when, you know, um, cause they were, the electric chair was still in use and they're like, this is usually what happened. That did not happen. And so she becomes really haunted by what, by what she saw. And the other thing too, is that Jesse Teferro, even up to his death was saying, I did not commit the crimes that I was accused of. And Ellen McGarrahan is, as she's looking at, you know, this execution that she witnessed, plus the knowledge that he had been saying up until his death that he was that he was innocent, he did not do this. This is this really haunted her. And so she that kind of subconsciously and consciously redirects her career towards becoming a private investigator. And decades later, she's you know, she she still sees reminders of this case. One of the women who is also involved with the case, she ends up being released from prison. And so she's got like a lifetime movie made about her and all this other stuff. And she has her own version of events. And Ellen is like, okay, so what happened? And so she's like, okay, I am at a point in my career where I'm going to take some time off. I'm going to investigate what actually happened. Did Jesse Teferro actually kill these police officers? What was going on? And... Uh, as with all of these types of books, she once she starts investigating, she finds that the truth is much more complicated, and the the context around the crimes goes much much deeper than she realized. And then to add on top of it, this is all one hundred percent true. Like this, this is this is the author's account of her investigation into the investigation, basically. And so I, like I said, when I picked up this book, I really did not know anything about it. I was not prepared for how quickly this book got its hooks into me. Like, if you want a book that grabs you from, like, page one, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I'm 70 pages into this book, what happened? Like, how long have I been reading? What, you know, like, I could not believe just how compelling the story was, considering I, you know, I had no knowledge of the, you know, the the context of the crimes or, you know, anything along those lines. I It is so utterly compelling. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's honestly, that's going to be one of those biggest, those biggest things. Like at work, we get a lot of patrons asking for either like mystery books that are really going to like grab them or people who are interested in true crime. And honestly, this is going to be one of my go-to picks because I'm like, okay, this book is going, like, I was visualizing like fishing hooks, just like caught in my skin and not letting go. And I just like could not put the book down. Yeah, there's there's just so much going on in this book. It's really well-written and it's just such a compelling story. And yeah, so definitely, definitely pick up a copy of this one. And again, it is called Two Truths and a Lie, A Murder, A Private Investigator, and Her Search for Justice by Ellen McGarrahan. I love that title so much. Two Truths and a Lie. That sounds amazing. Okay, so 
All right, super quick. My third pick is one that I believe I've spoken about before on the show, so I'm going to make it super quick. It's The Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Pooley, and I think this was for the best young adult, and it won. Huzzah! And it, it just it's it's a fantastic book. It's basically about Donis, who is biracial and does not who is biracial. She's an unenrolled tribe member in the Ojibwa reservation. But she lives outside of the reservation. So she doesn't fit in in you know in this town that she lives in or in the reservation. So when tragedy hits, she sort of puts everything on hold. She puts everything on hold uh, and to take care of her family, to be there for her family. But one day she witnesses a shocking murder that basically makes her the number one witness as well as, you know, sort of a suspect in this investigation, like what's happening and the number of deaths associated or linked to this murder or this crime, they keep on adding up until like someone very close to uh, Donis is endangered. So it's sort of like identity crisis, but also how like that, you know, that vigilante justice, like how far would you go? to protect your family when, you know, again, you're not getting that sort of support from where you're supposed to, to stop it. It's very well done. It's very well written. It has, it's very descriptive it, and you're in Donis's head and you're like, it's, it's very well done. It's a, it's a fantastic young adult novel. And I did this on audio as well. So I would 100% recommend that as well. So congratulations to the winner. And uh, this is Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bully. All right. Yeah. So really quickly, because I th- I have labeled this book as a book that I wanted to get to, but was not able to. This book was also nominated in the young adult category and did not win, <laughs> since Nezra just talked about the one that did. But this one I have mentioned a couple of times on the show is one that just has seemed really, really interesting. I just haven't been able to get to the top of my TBR yet. But it is The Forest of Stolen Girls by June Her. And the basic premise of the story is um, we have Hwani and her younger sister. Um, they live in Korea. And they, she she and her younger sister went missing and were later found unconscious in the forest next to a very gruesome crime scene. And they really don't remember much about what happened. The family tri- flees their hometown in order to escape the memories. And years later, Hawani's father, Detective Min, learns that 13 other girls have recently disappeared under very similar circumstances. So he returns to the hometown to investigate, but then he vanishes as well. So then Hawani returns home to find her missing father, figure out what happened, and, you know, to this case that basically tore her family apart. And she realizes that she, deep inside her buried memories, has the answer to what happened to her and her sister all those years ago in the forest. Now, this sounds like, okay, you know, compelling story, you know, all of this stuff. But the really cool thing is that this book takes place in Korea in the year 1426. Like, this is not only a historical mystery, a really historical mystery, and a really historical mystery set in a time period and a country we don't read about very often. And that, to me, is just so fascinating. I'm I'm very... I'm very interested by mysteries that are set during, you know, the time periods, you know, that were centuries ago. We didn't have modern science. We didn't have modern investigation techniques. Societies in general were vastly different in how they operate than than how they operate now. And it's just so compelling to think about how an author puts themselves in that time frame and constructs a mystery and an investigation that is true to the time period, but also makes compelling sense to a modern reader. Like, this is just so fascinating to me. So again, I really hope that I will be able to get to this book and read it and finish it because it sounds so interesting. And again, that is The Forest of Stolen Girls by June Her. I haven't read this one yet, but I have heard some of the con- contributors rave about it. So yes, I, I co-sign your wish that I also <laughs> get to pick this up eventually. All right. So obviously there were tons of books that we could have talked about. And 
you know, lots of thoughts around this year's Edgar Awards. So if you have thoughts with us um, that you would like to share with us, please let us know. If you've read any of the winners or any of the other books that were shortlisted that you really, really liked, let us know that as well, because of course our, our TBRs are not long enough. They're never long enough. But yeah, let us let us know what you thought of this of this year's crop of winners, and we'll start getting prepared for the nominees for next year whenever those get released. I'm getting way ahead of myself here. <laughs> All right, and with that, let's go ahead and we've got a couple of new releases. I mean, maybe we'll be seeing these books on the Edgar Awards list next year. Who yes. knows? <laughs> um, but I I feel like I've been I've been talking a lot consecutively. So, Nazra, why don't you uh, start us off with with your new releases pick? Yes, I would be delighted to. So, this is one that I actually have on my Kindle as an e-galley ready to read. Hopefully, I'll get to it. It's The Hacienda by Isabel Canis. And this is, are you all ready for this? It's Mexican Gothic meets Rebecca. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. In this Mexican Gothic meets Rebecca, uh, it's basically a supernatural suspense novel set in the aftermath of the Mexican War of Independence about a remote house, a sinister haunting, and the woman pulled into its clutches. During the overthrow of the Mexican government, Beatrice's father was executed and her home destroyed. Uh, and when Don, handsome Don Rodolfo Solor, Solorzano proposes, Pietro ignores the rumors surrounding his first wife's sudden demise and instead chooses to seize the security that his estate will provide. Obviously a great idea. But Hacienda Sanistro is not the sanctuary she imagined. When Rodolfo returns to work in the capital, visions and voices invade Beatrice's sleep. The weight of invisible eyes follows her every move, and Rodolfo's sister, Juana, scoffs at her fears, but she herself refuses to enter the house at night. Uh, and why does the cook burn copal incense at the edge of the kitchen and mark the doorway with strange symbols? Oh my goodness! Beatrice only knows two things for certain. Something is wrong and no one is going to come and save her. So desperate for help, she clings to the young priest, Padre Andres, as an ally. He's no ordinary priest, though. He will have to re rely on his skills as a witch to battle the malevolent presence haunting the hacienda. Far from a refuge, San Isidro may be Beatrice's too. So that's, if you got chills while listening to that, May 10th. Mark your calendars. The Hacienda by Isabel Canis. Oh my gosh, this book sounds so good. Uh -huh. And this, this is one of the books that I am, it's in my cart of books that I am waiting to run into work and basically put an order in. I may pause just slightly just to put my name down on hold for it and then place the order because yeah, every time I hear about this book, I'm just like, oh my god, this sounds so good. <laughs> Okay, um, so my pick is out on May 3rd, so by the time you're listening to this episode, you will be able to pick up a copy of this, and we're uh, keeping with the, with the true crime element, uh, but this book is called Trailed, One Woman's Quest to Solve the Shenandoah Murders by Catherine Miles, and so this is a look at the unsolved murders of two free-spirited young women in Shenandoah National Park and a journalist's obsession with the unsolved case and a new theory as to who might have actually killed these women. So in 1996, Julie Williams and Lolly Winans were brutally murdered while backpacking in Virginia's Shenandoah National Park, which is adjacent to the Appalachian Trail. They were skilled backcountry leaders. They had met and fallen in love the previous summer. But despite a very extensive joint investigation by the FBI, Virginia Police, National Park Service, the case remained unsolved for years. And then, so we're gonna flat, we're gonna fast forward to 2002, and in response to mounting political pressure, the Attorney General at the time, John Ashcroft, decided th that he would be seeking the death penalty against a man named Daryl David Rice, who was already in prison for assaulting another woman. But two years later, the Department of Justice kind of suspended its case against Rice very quietly, and the investigation had grown had grown cold since then, making the author wonder, did the prosecutors actually have the right person? So Catherine Miles, the author of the book, she's, you know, the journalist, she was a 
professor at Lolly Winans Wilderness College in Maine. So Lolly Winan, again, was one of the women who was murdered. So she, she was a professor at the Wilderness College in Maine when the 2002 indictment was announced. But on the 20th anniversary of the murders, which by my math would be 2016, <laughs> she began looking into the lives of these women whose their loss just kind of reverberates through the people who knew them and just it has this real ripple effect. And so she starts looking into their lives, the murder investigation, the subsequent case against Rice. And as she dives deeper, she becomes increasingly obsessed with the loss of these very generous, free-spirited women. And at the same time, perhaps you will not be surprised by this, she discovers evidence of cover-ups, incompetence, crime scene sloppiness. I, every time we talk about true crime, these elements keep coming into play about the incompetence of the people who were hired and trusted to investigate these crimes. So she becomes convinced of the initial suspect's innocence and then zeroes in on a different likely suspect. So this is really a, it's described as kind of like a braided narrative that talks about the women, the lives of these women who were murdered doing what they most love, the forensics, the long shadows cast by violence against women in the country. And yeah, it just seems, it seems very much like the the book, The Rainbow Girls, that was a similar type of true crime book that came out a couple of years ago. And yeah, there's just there's just a lot going on here. But yeah, looking at violence against women, the inability to, you know, find to bring people to justice in a lot of these crimes, and you know, the cover ups when the people in charge are not doing do not do their jobs either that just through incompetence or other or other conspiracies or whatever the case may be. Like this book just looks like it looks at all of that stuff in this kind of all encompassing narrative. And it just sounds so fascinating and important to read. So again, that is called Trailed, One Woman's Quest to Solve the Shenandoah Murders by Catherine Miles. And that is out on May 3rd. All right. And before we tune out real quick, we also have our every few years listener survey, which will be linked in the show notes. Please take a few minutes to come and tell us what kind of podcast content you like and what you'd like more or less off from us. Um, go to bookride.com slash listeners survey to fill out the survey and you'll be entered to win a $50 gift card to an indie bookstore of your choice. That's bookride.com slash listeners survey. And we will also drop a link in the show notes. And with that, that was our show. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Thank you so much to our wonderful sound editor, Jen Zink, for always making us sound great. For show notes, you can head over to bookride.com slash listen. For book more book recommendations, bookish goodness, head over to bookride.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookride.com slash listen. If you want to send us an email with feedback or show suggestions, you can reach us at redordead at bookride.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at Javed Nusra. That's J-A-V-E-D-N-U-S-R-A-H. And you can find me on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye.